All right, if you would grab a Bible and go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. So we're going to be in a few places this morning, um, but that's where we're, uh, where we're going to start. Um, so uh, if you know anything about football, you should know the name Vince Lombardi, right? Like Vince Lombardi is one of the, one of the most legendary uh, coaches in NFL history. Um, so legendary, in fact, they named the Super Bowl trophy after him. Um, uh, it, he was one of the greatest minds in the history of football, right? Well, in, in 1960, Lombardi's Packers... Uh, he, they were playing in the NFL championship. This was before they called it the Super Bowl. They were playing in the NFL championship against the Philadelphia Eagles, and they had a lead going into the fourth quarter, and they blew it. They, they ended up losing the, the championship. They had this heartbreaking loss in the championship in 1960. And so they, they, they pondered over that loss for, for the rest of, of the offseason and day in and day out. The, the players were, were thinking about it, and they were determined to come back and finish the job the, the next season. So they're, they're thinking like, okay, what, what do we need to do to take our game to the next level to win the championship, right? What, what new strategy or, or advancements is our, is our coach going to bring us? And so in July of 1961, the, the Packers arrive uh, for the first day of training camp, and all, all the players come in, and they, they arrive, they, they sit down, and they're, they're leaning in, wondering what Coach Lombardi is, is going to tell them. Like, what, what's, the, what's the plan for this season? And Coach Lombardi, he stands up, he gets in front of him, and he goes, Gentlemen, this is a football. Earth-shattering, right? Right? Like, think about that for a second, right? He's sitting in front of professional football players, right? Like, the, these guys that he's talking to are some of the best in the world at what they do right? And yet he takes them back to as basic as you can get. You can't get any more basic than this is a football, right? And that's where he takes them to, right? He spent the rest of their, of their time going through, uh, going, going over the playbook and going over the, the very basics of tackling and blocking and throwing and passing, like, like all of it, right? Like the kind of stuff that you teach seven-year-olds on day one. That's the kind of stuff that he went over with this NFL team. But you know what happened? That season, they ended up winning the NFL championship 37 to nothing against the New York Giants. He ended up going on and he won five NFL championships uh, over the next seven years, and he never coached a team with a losing record. There's one opposing coach who was quoted as saying this. He said, Lombardi didn't surprise you or confound you. He just beat you. Right? That's the kind of guy he was. So why was he so successful? Because he never graduated from the basics. He never stopped relearning the fundamentals. Right? A few months ago, I, I was thinking about something. And I thought about the fact that like, if, if, if you've spent any significant amount of time in, in church, then at least 95% of what you hear in sermons is probably not going to be brand new information. Right? If you're like me, it's really easy to, to become a passive listener during a sermon when it's stuff that like, okay, I've, I've heard this before. And then it's like, oh, now he's talking about something new. Now I'm going to lean in. Right? It's really easy to fall into that. Right? But I've realized this, the point of sitting under gospel preaching and teaching is not mainly to gather new information. It's to be renewed in the information that we think we've already mastered. It's about never graduating from the basics and the fundamentals of the gospel. About what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. Right? Whether you've been following Christ for five days or 50 years, whether you're, whether you're in high school or whether you're a seminary graduate. When we forget to renew the fundamentals, that's when we slip into disobedience and ineffectiveness. Okay? And what I'm preaching primarily to myself this morning, right? Because I need to hear this. In this in the series that we've been going through called Embrace the Vision, like the stuff that we've been talking about is not rocket science, right? Like our our pastor's been helping us to see a vision of who we're supposed to be as a church, what we're supposed to be about. And it like 
this isn't earth-shattering stuff, right? Most of us have heard most of this stuff to some degree before, right? But we've got to return to the fundamentals and be humble enough to relearn the basics of being a disciple and making disciples, to relearn what it means to grow and to go, right? If you, before this series, if you took 20 random people from our church and you asked those 20 people, hey, who is Schindler Drive and what are we about? You'd probably get 20 different answers, right? They'd probably all be pretty good answers, right? They'd probably all be pointing kind of in the same direction, but they'd also probably be kind of bouncing around each other a little bit, right? Think of it this way. What's more effective, having 20 people in 20 different little boats all rowing generally in the same direction or taking those 20 people and putting them all in the same boat, rowing with the same rhythm, going in exactly the same direction? It's more effective, right? That's what this series is about. It's about taking all of us as individuals of our church body and getting us all in the same boat, rowing with the same rhythm, moving intentionally in the same direction, right? And what's that direction? The direction is to be a group of people following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be fully restored and satisfied in Him. Okay, y'all have heard it a couple, a couple times already over the last couple of weeks. Okay, so say it with me this time, okay? Following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be fully restored and satisfied in Him. Okay, we're going to do it one more time. And those of you who are like me and you tend to kind of mumble along with stuff, say it loud and proud this time, okay? One more time. Following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be fully restored and satisfied in Him. Memorize it, live it, be all about it. Okay, when somebody says, what, what's Schindler Drive Baptist Church all about? Boom, that's the answer, right there, right? And what's going to keep us oriented in that direction? Holding to these values, right? If we, if we lose sight of clear biblical teaching, we're not going to accomplish the mission. If we're not praying fer- fervently and sincerely, we won't accomplish the mission. If we don't have a love for all people while exercising real biblical community, we'll lose sight of the mission. If our worship isn't authentic and crossing generations, we'll lose sight of the mission. If we're not faithful and generous with our time and with our talents and with our treasure, the mission will stall out. If families are not discipling their own homes and if the church isn't coming alongside as partners in that process, then that mission is just going to be words on a wall. These are the things that we hold to with conviction and with fervor in order to keep following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be fully restored and satisfied in Him, right? But, as Pastor Jonathan said last week, what if we just stop there, right? What if we just say, this is our mission, these are our values, right? If we stop here, then we're just a group of people sitting in the same room nodding with our, with our arms crossed going, yep, we agree on that, right? Now what's for lunch, right? Go back to the boat analogy for a minute. It's like if you have everybody sitting in the same boat, right? But we're all sitting there and we're, we're all looking around at each other and we're going, yeah, rowing, it's really important, right? Steering in the right direction, really important. Staying afloat, really important, right? And we're just a group of people sitting around agreeing on issues about rowing and steering and floating, right? It's like, well, like, okay, let's take another step, right? Nike moment, just do it, right? Like get busy actually rowing and actually steering and actually staying afloat, Let's take the things that we value and take those things that we agree on and let's put them into motion, right? Let's exercise these values instead of just agreeing on them, right? So that's where the strategy comes in. That's what the strategy is for. It takes the mission and the values and it puts it all in motion, right? Last week, we talked about the the first half of of our strategy, which is the grow half. Growing for us is where we we gather and where, where we connect. We come together in corporate worship like this, And then we connect with each other in small groups and Sunday school, right? Connecting goes beyond small groups and Sunday school class, right? But it shouldn't be less than that. 
So we're, we come together, we gather and worship consistently and plug into to small groups and Sunday school classes. And when we gather and when we connect, we're exercising certain of those values that we're exercising those values that we just talked about, right? Think about it. During these times, we're sitting under clear biblical teaching. We're praying together. We're showing love and community together. We're worshiping together across every generation. We're being generous, not just with our money, but with our time that we're spending together with one another. We're plugging our family into our church family to partner with us in the discipleship of our homes, right? That's why we gather and connect, right? You see how gathering and connecting, it takes those values and it puts it into motion, right? We're not just saying those values, we're doing the values, right? That's why we grow as disciples, through gathering and connecting, okay? But growing is only one side of the boat, right? What happens if you only rose one side of a boat? You start doing this, right? You start getting into a nice, comfortable rhythm without actually going anywhere, right? Growing is crucial, but it's only 50%. If we show up and we, we grow, and we grow some more, and then we grow some more, We'll get into a nice, comfortable rhythm of doing church without, without actually being the church. As we grow, we also have to go, right? Or think of it this way. Whenever you breathe, right? Is that a two-way process or a one-way process? It's a two-way process, right? Like, think about it. Since we've been sitting here, all of us have been breathing, right? And most of us probably have not been sitting here consciously thinking, I need to breathe in and then breathe out, right? But everybody do this for me for a second. Everybody take, it, take in a deep breath. Now breathe in again. Now breathe in again. Now breathe in again. Okay, you can stop. I don't want anybody to pass out. So you get the point, right? Like that's not a healthy rhythm, right? A healthy rhythm of a healthy body is breathing in and breathing out. That's the way healthy bodies operate, right? Was the body of Christ, we're going to be a very sickly body if we only ever breathe in. If we're only growing, but we're never going. We come together in gathering and connecting so that we can grow and be filled up so that we can then go and be poured out. That's what we're talking about today, is going, right? And this is perfect for Grad Sunday. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan and I were, were talking about where this series was going to fall on the calendar. And we looked at it, we were like, well, the third, the, the third uh, week in the series is going to fall on Grad Sunday. And then we thought for a second, we were like, that's actually perfect. Because this is exactly what we want to commission our graduates to go and do. We want to commission them and send them out to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So as we commission our graduates, everybody stand with me and we're going to read... Jesus' words in Matthew 28. We're going to read where he commissions all of us with the marching orders of a disciple. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You can have a seat as I pray. Dear God, I, I pray for our church this morning that you would help us to lean in to what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. That you would um, call us to not just grow and consume, but that you would call us to, to pour out and you would, you would show us ways where we need to be pouring out into the lives of those around us. So I pray that you would show us that through your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So, with this passage in, in Matthew 28, I hear a lot of people refer to this as the last words of Jesus. Like, Jesus says these words in Matthew 28, and then we have this picture. He says these words, and then he, like, ascends back to heaven, right? Well, it's not actually the case. These are, these are the last words that Matthew tells us, but these are not actually the last words of Jesus. The last words that Jesus says before he ascends are actually found in Acts chapter 1. We're actually going to look at that here in a little bit, right? 
but these words, like the, the reason we know that is because in Acts chapter 1, it tells us when Jesus says those words, he then ascends to heaven from the Mount of Olives which is in Jerusalem, is right next to Jerusalem, which is in southern Israel, okay? When Jesus says this in Matthew 28, it says they're in Galilee, which is in northern Israel, okay? So, like, picture the timeline for a second, okay? You have Jesus, he raises from the dead in Jerusalem, and then he sends his disciples more than 70 miles north to Galilee, where he tells them this in Matthew 28, and then they go back down to Jerusalem, where he gives them the Acts 1 speech that we're going to read here in a minute. So, like, if, I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot of extra travel to me, right? Like, why all the extra mileage on the sandals going back and forth, right? Like, that, that's about 150 miles round trip, right? But think about, why, like, why would Jesus go out of his way to go all the way back to Galilee? Think about what happened in Galilee. It's where Jesus began his ministry. It's where he called these men to be his disciples, right? So, when he's saying this, they're probably sitting there overlooking the valley, of the Sea of Galilee, the very spot where three years earlier, he said to them, he looked at them and he said, come and follow me, right? You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking them back to where he made disciples of them. And now he says, okay, now you go make disciples of all nations. What I've done with you here, now go and do likewise. And so as they reflect on their own growth that they've experienced over the previous three years, Jesus then says, go. So as we reflect on things this morning, like the growth of our, of our graduates that they've experienced, as we reflect on what it means for us to grow through gathering and connecting, Jesus then says, okay, go. So what does going look like? Going includes serving and engaging. Serving and engaging. Okay, so let's, let's start with the serving side. Serving is where we go within the church body, right? This is, this is going within the church. Okay? We don't just come together, we don't just grow and gather and, and connect and consume. We then plug in, we get involved, we get our hands dirty, and we find somewhere to plug in and serve our church family. Right? To hijack the, the quote from JFK, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. It's kind of corny, but it works. Right? The church is a place where we come to grow, and we, like we do like consume certain benefits from being here. But then we turn around and we find out how to, how to then serve our church family in return. Turn over with me now. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. So in John 13, this is the night before Jesus is about to go to the cross. Okay, so think about the context here. Jesus is about to, within hours from this, he is about to undeservedly endure the most horrific suffering possible. Okay? Now, if that's me in that position, I think I'm going to feel a little entitled to some me time. Right? Like, I, th- I think everyone would understand a little bit if Jesus is focused on himself here a little bit, right? Like, oh, you're, you're going to go and, and endure, like, the wrath of God for the sins of all humanity? Okay, like, you, you don't have to worry about everybody else's problems right now, okay? You, like, you have some bigger fish to fry, right? Like, if I'm in that situation, that's what I'm thinking, right? But look at what Jesus does. Look at John 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, the, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, while he knows that Judas is about to betray him, he does this. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Just reading that is convicting, right? 
How often do we think, well, you know, I've, I've put in my time. I've done my part. I've given of myself. It's time for somebody else to step up and do their part. And yet Jesus, the God of the universe, as he's preparing to go to the cross and give everything, he voluntarily stoops to the job of a servant. He stoops to the lowest job in the house, washing people's feet. Look down at at verse 12. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. And he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Okay, I don't know about you, I'm tempted all the time to make excuses, right? That does not leave much room for excuses, though. Jesus says, if you're growing as one of my disciples, then you'll put aside your pride and you'll go in serving one another, right? But here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to take our selfishness and use it to undermine service, right? There's two ways that our selfishness can undermine our service, okay? The first way is that selfishness can keep us from serving, right? We get, we get comfortable in our rhythm. We, we sit back and we consume, but we never get busy with serving. It's often said that in a lot of churches, it's often said that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In a lot of churches, that's true. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? So we're, which group are you in? Are you in the 80% that's, that's sitting back and, and enjoying and gleaning the benefits from being part of this body without serving your church body in return? Okay, now, if you're in the 20%, and you're like, yeah, I'm serving. Okay, don't get comfortable yet because Jesus does not let us off the hook either, okay? Turn to Acts chapter 4. Go over to Acts chapter 4. In, early on in the book of Acts, we see, we see the church that's exploding in, in Jerusalem, right? People are being saved. They're coming together. They're showing us this beautiful picture of what it means to be the body of Christ. Okay, now look at the end of Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 34. It says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought them for proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so you, they're serving one another. They're taking that generosity value that we mentioned earlier and they're putting it in motion, right? You see that? They're being selfless and they're, they're serving other people and putting others ahead of themselves, okay? But then look at what happens in chapter five. It says, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back a piece he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he brings part, but he says that he's, that he's giving the entire amount, right? It says, but, see, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds from the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it then that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear fell on all who heard of it. And the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out, of, and, carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. 
the first way that selfishness undermines service is it keeps us from serving, right? But the other temptation is that service turns into selfishness. Think about what just happened right here in Acts, right? You have acts of service happening all over the place, including with Ananias and Sapphira, right? Like, think about it. They just, they just performed the same act as Barnabas, as countless others in the church. They're doing the same thing. They were giving. They were serving. If they were in a church where 20% of the people were doing 80% of the work, they would have been in the 20%. They were part of the people who were serving. But what's the difference? The difference was their motivation and desire. They lied here, but even the lying was not the root of the problem. The root of the problem was that they served to be noticed. They served so they'd be seen. They served so they'd be thanked and appreciated. Selfishness didn't keep them from serving, but serving turned into selfishness for them. Listen, something that we need to be constantly reminded of as a church is the fact that there is a difference between ownership and stewardship. There's a difference between ownership and stewardship. Ownership says it belongs to me so I can do with it what I want. Stewardship says it belongs to somebody else so I do with it what he wants. Uh, Right now, Logan Malloy is one of our Navy guys that's uh, overseas right now in Japan. And before he left, he he asked me to do him a favor. He asked me to to go in and drive his car around every so often just so it's not sitting in his house doing nothing for six months. So every once in a while, I'll go over there and and I'll drive his car, right? But think about what, what if I started treating that car like it was mine? What if I started treating it and using it based on my preferences? What if I started making updates to it based on what I like? What if I decided that I liked another car better, so I went and sold it and got another car? Worse yet, what if I used Logan's money to do it, right? That'd be pretty messed up, right? He asked me to take care of his car the way that he wants it taken care of. But instead, I decide that I'm going to do with it what I prefer. I mean, after all, I've been putting in the time to, to look after his car, so shouldn't I have, the, have the, the right to have my preferences met? Everyone do, do something for me for a second, okay? I'm going I'm to do the same thing, okay? I want everyone right now to think about what, what area in the, in the church you're serving in, okay? So if it's multiple areas, include multiple areas, okay? So the, what, think about the area that you're serving in, okay? If you can't think of something, maybe an indication to plug in and serve somewhere, Okay? But if you're serving somewhere, right, think about what, whatever area or areas you're plugged in to serving, right? So it, whether you're a deacon, whether you're helping in children's ministry, youth, your small group or Sunday school that you teach, the kitchen, the welcome team, security, music, tech, whatever, okay? Wherever you serve, everybody, everybody get that in mind, okay? Everybody got in your mind where you serve at, okay? Listen, that is not ours. That is not yours. That is not mine. It belongs to Jesus. Everything here belongs to Jesus. Every person, every facility, every resource, every ministry. It's not ours, it's his. The youth ministry does not belong to me. It belongs to him. It's been entrusted for me to steward it how he sees fit. Right? Now, it, here's the thing. It's really easy to nod along and agree with that. It's really easy to write that in a sermon, right? But what happens when we feel like someone else is intruding on our area of service? How easy is it to start getting territorial over our ministries? How easy is it to start feeling threatened when someone else starts intruding on our ministry space? How quickly can we get jealous when someone else gets the credit? How quickly can we start looking like like kids out on the playground, like taking our toys and be like, hey, don't touch my toys. Go get your own toys, right? Don't touch my ministry. Go find your own ministry. But we usually say it a little bit more diplomatic than that, right? 
Listen, the 80-20 problem that I just mentioned a minute ago, like part of the problem, yes, is, is that there are sometimes the 80% that are not plugging in and they're not getting busy serving. However, at the same time, there's often also a problem with the 20% not making room for the 80% to serve. We want to be in control, so we just want to do all of it, right? So, and, and, so, we're, so we're doing everything, and then we look over at the 80% like, hey, why aren't you helping me, right? Anyone, anybody in here ever tried to do like everything yourself and then wonder why nobody's helping you? I've done that, right? I've seen this, I've seen this happen firsthand in churches, right? I've seen people who want to look around and complain that they're the only one ever doing anything. But then they want to control everything, or they want all the credit, so they, they won't let anybody else help. Listen, don't just serve. Be the kind of servant that other people want to serve alongside. We need to guard against using service as a podium. Service is not a podium, it's a privilege. Turn back with me now and go to, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, he's teaching us radical new ways of walking in obedience. He's shaking us awake from, from what's considered quote-unquote normal, right? And he, he's calling us to something greater. And he says something here in Matthew chapter 6 to shake us awake from selfish service. Okay, look at, look at the beginning of, of Matthew chapter 6. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the, syn- in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Listen, if we're serving and then we're looking around for someone to give us the credit for it, Jesus looks at us and he says, okay, congratulations. There's your short-sighted reward right there. And now your heavenly Father will not be rewarding you for that deed. Okay, listen, we should, we should show our appreciation to one another, right? This doesn't mean we, we walk around and never say thank you to anybody, right? We should show our appreciation to, to one another, right? But if I'm, the, if I'm the one doing the service, right, I shouldn't then be looking out of the corner of my eye waiting for someone to come and pat me on the back. My job as a disciple is to put my head down and serve willingly, and if someone comes and pats me on the back, great, that's a bonus. Okay? Listen, if, if you've been involved in ministry and if you've served in the church, you know that it is often a thankless job, right? For now. It's a thankless job for now. But your Father sees your faithfulness and He'll reward you in eternity. So you don't have to, go, you don't have to carry the burden of going and looking for recognition and credit now, right? Think about it. When we run for recognition and credit here and now, we're robbing ourselves of greater joy in Christ, right? Serving Him brings us joy and satisfaction, but we rob ourselves of that when we look around wondering if everybody's noticing how well we're serving. I'll catch myself doing that sometimes, right? I'm busy doing stuff, and then I find myself looking out of the corner of my eye, hey, are they noticing how I'm, how I'm serving, right? And then I stop and I think, I'm like, how childish and ridiculous am I being right now, right? I'm robbing myself of greater joy, and I'm stepping in trying to take glory that belongs to God. The application point here is not just, are you serving somewhere, right? Like If, the, if that was the only application point here, then... It, for those of you who are serving, you can hit cruise control for this part of the sermon, right? But the other application point is not just are you serving, but are you serving with the attitude of your Savior? Over the last 2,000 years, how many millions of Christians have served Christ faithfully and none of us know their name? That's the majority of Christians, by the way, right? The majority of Christians have served, served Christ faithfully and nobody here knows their name. 
If you're serving with the right attitude and the right heart, Jesus will satisfy you. We don't need to go looking for pats on the back and looking for who's going to get the credit. Serve so that people can see more of Jesus than they see of us. Some of us need to repent for not serving. Some of us, myself included, need to repent for serving with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude. Right? If, you're, if you're not currently plugged in somewhere to serve, plug in today. Right? Go out here to the welcome table today and go say, hey, like, tell me where I can plug in. Right? If you know a specific area you want to plug in and serve, tell them. Or just be like, hey, tell me where, there, tell me where there's a need. Right? We can always use more help in the kids' ministry. Right? If Michelle was still in here, she'd be amening this right now. Right? We can always use more help in the kids' ministry. Right? When we have enough help back there, then you serve like on a rotation where you're only back there serving once every month or six weeks. Right? We can use folks helping out in the welcome team. Right? Just, just saying hello to folks, being nice, like helping people out, pointing them in the right direction. We can use people out there if you want to help with ushers or media or whatever or seasonal ministries like VBS or Upward, right? Listen, whenever we get to the fall, I'm going to be looking for volunteers for Upward, right? Even if you, even if you know nothing about basketball, we got a spot for you, right? There are some of you in here who came to me last season were like, I don't know anything about basketball. Did we find a spot for you? Yep, we did, right? Now, those of you who know basketball, we also need you, right? Like, I'm going to stick somebody out there to ref who doesn't know the rules, okay? But, like, like plug in and serve somewhere, Right? In a couple of months, we're going to have a volunteer appreciation meal. You know what would be awesome? Is if every single one of us were at that meal, because every single one of us are volunteering and serving somewhere. Find somewhere to serve, but above all else, serve with the heart of Jesus, whether or not anybody ever sees it. But there's another side to going as well, and that's engaging. So if serving is where we go within the church, engaging is where we go outside the church, right? In short, it's where we take the gospel to a lost world. Right? This is where we obey Matthew 28, where we go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Now, like I said, those words in Matthew 28, they're not Jesus' final words. Okay? The final words that he says are in Acts chapter 1. Okay? So turn, turn over there with me now. Go to Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 1, he takes the, the general command of Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is the general command. Okay? In Acts chapter 1, he takes that command and then he gets more specific with it. Okay? So look in Acts chapter 1 when you get there, starting in verse 6. So, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, a couple of things here on this passage. First of all, notice what question the disciples ask and notice how Jesus answers them. Right? What question do they ask? They say, hey, Jesus, is, is now when you're going to restore, restore the, the kingdom of Israel? Right? Jesus, you, you see what kind of condition our country's in, right? You see all the corruption, the manipulation, the injustice that's going on? You see all the ungodly people that are leading our country right now? You see how far we've drifted from where we used to be? Are you finally going to fix what's wrong with our country? Sound familiar? You're asking the same question I hear a lot of Christians asking today. But look at how Jesus answers them. He says, first of all, that's not for you to know. God's going to make all things right in his timing. And then Jesus says this. He says, hey, instead of having tunnel vision on just the problems in your own geopolitical nation, focus on taking the gospel to the nations. That's where he points them. Okay, listen, I love my country, right? And especially on weekends like this, we should be especially grateful for those who sacrifice to give us the freedoms that we have. But at the same time, we're completely missing the point if we think that the solution is to fix America. The disciples thought the solution was to fix Israel. 
And Jesus said, no, it's not. When it comes time to vote, I'm going to go out and I'm going to vote based on my beliefs and based on my convictions. And then I'm going to get back to work, trusting that God knows what he's doing, regardless of what the outcome is, right? My hope is not in whoever sits in the White House. My hope is in the one who sits on the throne. Okay, listen, just like the Apostle Paul did, I pray for my fellow countrymen to turn to Jesus. I pray for revival in our country. But my hope does not lie in whether or not America returns to what it once was. My hope lies in the fact that the kingdom of God is advancing regardless of what happens with the United States. I said this before, if America as we know it goes down the tubes, our mission does not change. Our mission is still going to be following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be restored and satisfied in him. It's good to love your country. But remember that Jesus said this. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, if he said that about parents, I think that also applies to loving our country more than Jesus too, right? Love our country. Pray for our country. But our hope is not in our country. It's in Jesus. Look again at Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. What does, he, what does he give them? He doesn't give them a political mission. He gives them a gospel mission, right? Now, does the gospel impact how we navigate the political sphere? Yeah, it does. But that is secondary. The gospel is primary. And it's really easy to get those flipped if we're not careful. Jesus tells his disciples, your main concern is not the political condition of your nation. Your main concern is the spiritual condition of all nations. That comes first. So take the gospel to them. Jesus says, take the gospel locally and take it globally. He points out several locations. Jerusalem was their immediate city and neighborhood. Judea was the local area around them. Samaria was, was the outcast in their region. And then Jesus extends the orders out to the ends of the earth. So we're to take the gospel to those right around us, and then we're to take it to the ends of the earth. So how are we doing that? How is Schindler Drive being obedient to what Jesus tells us in Acts chapter 1? Okay. Well, first of all, we're partnering with local ministries to take the gospel to the broken and outcast people right around us. We're partnering with Hands and Feet Ministry on 103rd, right? Hands and Feet, is, they're all about ministering to people in the middle of their brokenness, meeting people in their brokenness right where they're at, getting them the legitimate help that they need for those who are willing to accept it, right? Like they, they meet people in all kinds of brokenness, homelessness, addiction, family turmoil, you name it. They meet people where they're at and they point them to Jesus as the one who can restore them and satisfy them. Okay, you starting to see a theme here, right? They address physical needs, but more importantly, they point them to the spiritual need of Jesus. We're partnered with other ministries like First Coast Women's Services who come alongside women who are pregnant and don't know what to do. They step in and advocate both for the life of the unborn child and for the well-being of the mother and the rest of the family. Okay, listen, do not buy the lie that to be pro-life is to be anti-woman. Okay, now... To be fair, have there been people who have pushed pro-life rhetoric in a way that is unloving and unmerciful and uncaring? Yeah, there are people who have done that. That's not what we're about. We're about extending grace and meeting people where they're at and walking alongside them. That's what First Coast does. They show the love of Christ to young women who don't know what to do. When a young woman is, is considering abortion, if she walks in the door at First Coast, just by walking in the door, the chances of her having an abortion drop by about 80%. If she sees a sonogram, it drops even, for, even further. We live in a world that's trying to fix brokenness with more brokenness. But places like First Coast are addressing brokenness by pointing families to Jesus and the abundant life that he offers. We're also partnered with, with ministries like Operation Barnabas. We got guys in our church that are, that are plugged in with Operation Barnabas, right? Operation Barnabas, they, they reach out to veterans who are living in brokenness. A lot of times they're, they're living in homelessness or addiction, 
they're, and they're, like they're at the end of their rope. And the guys at Operation Barnabas, they meet those guys where they're at. They get them off the street. They plug them into mentorship and discipleship. They get them on a path of recovery by pointing them to Jesus who can restore them and satisfy them. The local ministries like this, these, these are extremely valuable for us to come alongside so that we can reach our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria, the broken and outcast around us. But Jesus also said, go to the nations, right? So that's why we have global mission partners too. In places like Poland and Togo and Africa, right? We're partnered with, with Andrew and Miranda Brothers who are serving in Poland right now, right? They've been right next door to everything that's been going on in Ukraine recently. But here's the cool thing. In the midst of all the brokenness and suffering that's been going on in Ukraine, what's happened is people, refugees from Ukraine are fleeing across the border into Poland and they're, they're coming across people like Andrew and Miranda who are sharing the gospel with them in their brokenness they're sharing the gospel with these people so that they can be truly restored and satisfied. We're partnered with, with James and Jenna Roberts who are uh, almost fully funded to be able to leave this summer and go to Togo, West Africa. Togo, for those of you who don't know yet, Togo is, is the birthplace of voodoo. So you have people who live their entire lives worshiping and making sacrifices to false gods and idols. Some of these people, they're, they're, some of them are, are open to hearing about Jesus, but it's with the attitude of like, okay, yeah, we, we can add him in with, with the rest of our, of our voodoo gods. James and Jenna and the rest of their team, they're going, and the purpose of their mission is to show these people that Jesus is enough, that he and he alone can truly restore and satisfy them. Right, so they already have team members that are already in Togo right now planning churches. They're, they, they've got a Bible college where they're training local pastors to lead their church as well. And James and Jenna are going over specifically to start a camp where they can impact the lives of young people with kids and teenagers in Togo. And lastly, of course, we have our longest global mission partners in Garrett and Brittany Knight who are doing work in Mexico. Right? Specifically, they're, they're doing work to reach the Chinateco heat line people group that lives in the villages in and around the city of Ohitlan. Okay, some of you, some of you in here have been able to, to go down and, in recent years on trips to partner with them in their work down there, right? Most of y'all know that a couple weeks ago, some of us got to, to go down on a, on a scouting trip with, with Garrett and Brittany. And listen, what we learned on that trip is that there is fertile ground in Mexico to plant gospel seeds. There's fertile ground down there. After, after years of searching, Garrett and Brittany... They, they found a gospel-centered church that's, that's right in the middle of Ohitlan, right in the middle of the, the people group that, that they're trying to reach. We got to go visit that church for a while. We got to talk with the, the church leaders there. And as we were talking with them, you know what that church is all about? They're all about following Christ and engaging everyday people with the gospel to be fully restored and satisfied in Him. As they're sitting there telling us stories from their church and they're sitting there telling us what they're doing in their, in their community and the surrounding villages, we're like, they're about exactly what we're about. They see broken people around them. They engage them, engage them with the gospel so those people can meet Jesus and be fully restored and satisfied in him. Okay, if you're not catching the theme yet, I don't know what else to tell you, okay? So that's what our church is doing as a whole to engage. But what does that have to do with you? How can you be a part of this, right? The short answer is something we've said before. The short answer that Jesus gives us is when it comes to, to, to missions and taking the gospel to the nations, for the Christian, there's three options. Go, send, or disobey. He doesn't give us a fourth option. We either go ourselves, we send others to go, or we disobey. So what can you do specifically? The first, is, the first thing is to give, right? Give faithfully out of the resources that God's given you. Faithful generosity is one of our values. Are you being faithful and generous with the, with the money and resources that God has given you? 
when you give to the church, you're not just helping to keep the lights on, right? You're helping to take the gospel both here and around the world. What else can you do specifically? You can go on those short-term trips, right? Some of you have been able to go on those trips in recent years, right? One, one of the exciting things from, from that trip that we just went on a couple weeks ago was being able to talk through what, what it's going to look like in the future to be able to go back down there on trips. Like, hope, hopefully, like, within the next year or so, we can, like, start going on, on trips down there. Hopefully, at some point, we're also going to be able to take trips to Togo, Right? So the other thing you can do is go, right? There are opportunities that are coming down the pipeline. So be generous, not just with your money, but with your time to go when those opportunities come up, right? Near the end of our, of our trip a couple weeks ago, Garrett and Brittany asked me, they said, so after your first time coming down here, would you recommend for, for other people to, to come on a trip like this? I said, absolutely, right? First of all, really cool country, amazing food, okay? Just going to say that, okay? But in all seriousness, like what else do you, do you benefit and gain from going down there firsthand. First of all, you get to see and meet the very people that we're talking about taking the gospel to. Instead of just hearing about the work that we're doing to reach those unreached people groups, you get to go and see it and experience it and be part of it firsthand on the front lines, right? I mean, you think about it, all of us know this, right? If you go somewhere that's that's worth sharing about, right? Like you can't, when you try telling people about it, it, like it doesn't, it doesn't land the same. You're like, you just got to go, you just got to go yourself, right? You just got to go and experience it. Not only that, you can actually have a gospel impact by going, a direct gospel impact, right? One of the coolest things that, that happened when we were uh, on that trip is uh, we went into a, to a village there. It's one of the villages that's only accessible by boat. So you go by boat, and then you have like a 20 or 30-minute hike to, to get up to, to the village. And this was a village where a small group from our church several years ago went with Garrett and Brittany. They, they went on the boat, hiked up, and they did a, a VBS for uh, the kids in, in this village, right? So the, the, I, I know the Stubbs were on that trip. Lisa Taylor was on that trip. So we had a, a group where they, said, they saw an opportunity and they said, hey, we want to go. We want to we plug in with, with that trip and go serve, right? That was probably three or four years ago when that trip happened. You know what we found out two weeks ago? Two or three weeks ago when we went? We found out that there were kids at that VBS who had never heard the gospel before. But because of that VBS several years ago, because of faithful volunteers from Schindler Drive, there are kids who, pl- who heard the gospel for the first time there, and they are still plugged into that church today. They're still coming on a weekly basis and being discipled after hearing the gospel for the first time. They're probably at that church this morning while we're sitting here. There are kids following Jesus today because of humble obedience on a short-term mission trip. But in addition to, to going short-term, pray about whether God may be calling you to go long-term, Right? God may be preparing another person or couple or family to go and do what Garrett and Brittany have done. Go and live overseas and take the gospel to the nations, right? I pray that one day we have students who, who come and say, hey, God's, God's sending me, I, I feel like God's sending me to, to go take the gospel to the nations overseas. Pray for God to send workers into the harvest and pray whether you're one of those workers. And lastly, engaging means sharing the gospel right where we're at, right? Whether we live here or we live overseas, he said, hey, in your Jerusalem, Right here in Jacksonville, we're to engage everyday people with the gospel and take the gospel to them. I'm going to wrap up this morning with a, uh, a story that I, I borrowed from another pastor. So uh, in the late 1800s, there was a pharmacist that came up with a, this concoction of like syrup and carbonated water that he felt like he, he was convinced that it could cure illnesses, right? So he, he develops this and uh, he, start, he, he starts selling it at one location, one drugstore. Started selling it for five cents a glass. And in his first year, he averaged selling about nine glasses a day. Okay? 
nine glasses of this drink a day, okay? Today, before today is over, around two billion glasses of that same drink are going to be enjoyed all around the world. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Coca-Cola, right? It started in one little drugstore in Atlanta. And today, the Coca-Cola red and white logo is recognized by 94% of the world's population. I heard, I heard the story from, from uh, David Platt. David's now a, a pastor up in Washington, D.C. But after he told that story, he told another story. He talked about a, a friend of his named Jonathan, no relation, um, a friend of his named Jonathan who, when Jonathan was in, in college, uh, he, uh, he and another buddy of his, after they finished college, they were like, hey, let's take a year and let's, tra- let's just go travel the world. Right? Specifically, let's go to the like, really tough, difficult, remote places that we probably wouldn't be able to go to once we get married and have, have families of our own, right? So they, they were in one really remote, mountainous region where they, they met some missionaries there. And these missionaries asked them if they would be willing to, to help them out with something to, to do some survey work for them in, uh, in that region, right? To go around to some of the villages and, and uh, help do some, some survey work. And so the guys were like, yeah, we can do that. So they, they go with an interpreter. And they go into to, to some villages, and they, they start talking to villagers. So they, they ask them questions through the interpreter. They, they ask these villagers questions like, how were you created? We don't know. They said, well, who, who sends the, the rain for your crops? They said, we don't know that either. Then they said, what happens when we die? And the villagers looked back at them, and they said, nobody's come to tell us about that yet. After they finished their conversation, these villagers, they, they invited them into one of the houses um, to show them some, some hospitality. And when Jonathan and his buddy sat down, the, their host came over and offered them something to drink. You know what it was? It's Coca-Cola. And all of a sudden, in that moment, it dawned on Jonathan that a bottling company in Atlanta, Georgia, has done a better job of getting brown sugar water to the nations than the church has done at getting the gospel to the nations. 94% of the world knows this logo right here. But 3 billion of them have never heard the gospel. One of the other things about going to Mexico, if you go to Mexico, I promise you, you're going to drink an ungodly amount of Mexican Coke because it's delicious. Okay, like, I drank so much Coke, it's, like, not even funny, Okay. Because it's everywhere down there. Everywhere you go, there's Coke down there, right? But the gospel isn't everywhere. Let's remember what we're supposed to be about. Jesus has called us to take the gospel to those people. He's called us to be a life-saving station, not a country club where we come and sit around and debate about our preferences and whether or not minor things go our way. Listen, our preferences are not going to save anybody. The gospel is. We're called to follow Christ and engage everyday people with the gospel here and around the world so that they'll be fully restored and satisfied in Him. And that's how we do it. Let's walk in obedience. Okay, Which one of these four areas are you not plugged into? Which one of these four are you not exercising? Okay, Listen, in order to keep us moving towards the mission, every single one of us have to have all four of these oars in the water. In order to keep moving forward, every single one of us have to have all four oars in the water. We have to be gathering and connecting and serving and engaging, right? So if you're, if you're in here and you're, you're just coming and gathering, but you're not getting connected or serving or engaging, you're 25% on board. If you're gathering and you're connecting, but you're not then going, you're 50% on board. If you're serving regularly, but you're not gathering regularly, you're not fully on board, right? Don't be kind of on board. Don't be hanging off the side of the ship. 
You're going to miss out on what God's doing. Jump on board, get all four oars in the water, and let's move forward so that we can take the gospel to the nations. Let's pray.